0: This is Rev. Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So today we're going to be looking at this question, like, is life fair? And I want to start out by looking over here at this rock over here. And I've used this rock before because it's just a great reminder, I think, I think to all of us, of kind of how life can be, right? So I can look at this rock and I can think, yeah, life, life just is beautiful. Brothers and sisters, life is beautiful. It just has that roundedness, that gorgeousness to it. And yet, life can also look like this. Who can just shout out an adjective for me? Let's shout a couple of adjectives. It can also look chaotic, dark, hard, rough, sharp. This even has a crack going right down the middle. And I feel that life, so much of it is holding these both. So brothers and sisters, life is beautiful. Life is hard and cracked and sharp as well. And life does have its problems. And so how do we learn? I think so much of the spiritual life is, is how do we hold both of these things together as best we can as best we can. And that gets into this question, in this statement, that that life isn't fair. And we need to ask, you know, if we're having that exclamation, we need to ask, well, is it fair? Is it not fair? How do we wrestle with this? I want to step back over here. How do we put all this together? So what I'd like your permission to do is to share a story with you about fairness. Could I share a fairness story with you? I want to share this story with you. It's way at the very beginning of the Bible, which shows you how long human beings have been wrestling with fairness. And it's a story about two brothers. Get back to the story of creation, Adam and Eve. Now, if if you should back up here. The Bible, we can read the Bible very seriously and not necessarily always literally. In other words, we can can see the seriousness of, of the message that they're trying to convey underneath it. So in the new church, for example, we believe in evolution and all those things. And we believe stories like Adam and Eve point to even greater truths that are underneath this. Beautiful, poetic truths that speak to what really matters in life. So the story of Adam and Eve, for those of you who aren't aware, it's way at the very beginning of the Bible. It's, it's Adam and Eve were the, were the first two people created, and they had two sons. This is the story of those two sons. And this is from Genesis 4, for any of you who are following along at home. Eve became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, her oldest. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a person. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. So first one, Cain, second one, Abel. And then it comes to this, quote, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Cain, why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So so much wisdom in that, so much incredible wisdom. And this is all wisdom, folks, that all of us here, all of you kind of know. Any of us have challenges with our siblings Probably a few of you have your hands raised right now. This issue of fairness, this issue of who has the gift and who doesn't, is a very human question. And here is Cain saying, like, wait a minute, you like his gift more than mine. And the Lord's saying, no, I just happen to like that thing, not the person. I happen to like the thing more but not the person. And he says, your job is to master that. It's a beautiful line. Your job is to master that. I can remember back to high school. I can remember back to high school. I had to study really hard to get B's and C's. I realize most of you think I'm incredibly intelligent. It's all an act. (laughs) Studied incredibly hard, incredibly hard. And, and I, I would do stuff like a math class. I would pile up the information I needed to know on top of my head, very gently walk into the math test, dip my head, allow all the formulas to go across the paper, and I could get it all down, but just for that one time. And I had a friend who was good at math. I remember when studying for a math test, and I'd studied hours, and, and, and he had like, some big like calculus part seven test, and I was like algebra one, and, and, and he said, and I asked him when he was studying, he said, ah, you know what, after lunch, I think I'll have 10 or 15 minutes. Who does that? How many of us have that friend, know that friend, or sitting by that friend? Right? Like, is that fair? And you better all say no. Is that fair? No, that was gross injustice. Because you see, I was looking at what my offering was, and I was saying, my offering isn't what his offering was. Maybe God likes him a little better. Does that ring true? Those of us with kids, and I hope you can all offer an amen here, for some of our kids, is it a little easier than for other of our kids? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. We have five kids. Some of them just breeze through life. Others, it's, it's, they hit every pothole along the way. It's easy to get caught up in this question around that, around the fairness of life, and we start to get caught up around comparison. We start to get caught up around division. I want to share this, and I think this is really important, so please, please, please listen carefully to this. It's based on a misled belief. Please listen carefully. That somehow in God's creation, if I'm all into fairness, it's that belief that we all should have the exact same experience of life. Do we all have the exact identical experience of life? No, we don't. We just don't. I mean, I think some of those deeper themes of love and joy and peace and compassion and and struggle and blessing. Yes, we all do have those experiences, but we come at it from a myriad of different ways. God, remember, remember, remember this. God only gives us one point of view. He only gives us one point of view into those eternal things those things that are most important. And if I'm constantly comparing around the circle, believing that that's better than this, is better than that, is better than that, and God blesses that, God hates it, you know, that can get me into a dark place. It can get me into a challenging place. And, and, and there's implications to that, right? Like this, this is life fair. If, if I really live completely into that question, if I live obsessively into that question, we're gonna mess because all we're gonna be doing is living that question: <laughs> Is life fair? And all we're gonna see is a God that's trans, whose love is transactional, not a God whose love is transformative. I really do believe that these words from Jordan Peterson: Spend ten years brooding or obsessing over your own catastrophes and the unfairness of life, and you will definitely experience hell. I feel like we all should say, hell yes, when we see that, right? (laughs) Hell yes. Absolutely. If we, like, keep going on that, we're in trouble. But how many of us have that tape going at least once a day? Right? We all do, I think. We all do. The tape just keeps on going and going and going. And there's implications to that. There's implications. Some of them are small. You know, not, not really that dangerous. You know, I, I just think of small. It's like when I get into like, you know, there's certain people that I want to share. You know, that's why I think we have moms. Thank you, mom. You know, there are some people who like to share the unfairness of life. I can always share the unfairness of life with my mom. And she'll always say, thank you, mom. You're right. And that's, that's maybe that's just part of it. It's a small little thing. Um, but there's implications, though, living in that place. I mean, do we really want to hang out with people whose primary conversation is the way life hasn't been fair to them? What do you think? No. No, we really don't. There's just something in our soul that knows, ah, there's a bigger picture there. There's a different way to see the rock, a new way to turn it. It can also have bigger implications. Now, I want to say, some of those bigger implications... Are important. So I don't want to just sort of discount. This is where today's service kind of has me a little bit anxious because there's there's a subtlety to it. People like Martin Luther King asked the question: is that fair? So we don't want to discount it. Like actually, that question can, in certain circumstances, be very powerful, but lived obsessively. again, come back to Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King's able to ask that because he also had a vision, I have a dream, welcome to church on January 20th. But if we live just obsessively in the question with no greater goal of where we're going, it can lead us to crazy places like this. It's that synagogue out in Pittsburgh where the shooting occurred, close to where my family was originally from. This question is a big one. It's questions we have to wrestle with because you have to wrestle with the implications. This one author said, what is it that all these people share who do things like that? Well, they obsess over the, fairness, over the unfairness of life. They obsess over all their past problems. And they create their own little world, their own little media bubble that simply reinforces that over and over again. That's why the title of this sermon is We Have a Problem. Is that a problem? (laughs) Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. And the beautiful part, the beautiful part, as the band comes out, is to understand that there is hope. And there is a way out. There is a way where we can see, again, like like God's just basic walking with us. When I am with you. When I am with you. Understanding that, understanding that walking, understanding those, those bigger, more beautiful pictures and the, and the hope that we can find there. That walking together into something new something that churches, synagogues, all kinds of houses of worships, nonprofits can be. So when I come back, I want to talk some more about that hope. I want to talk about where this can lead again when it gets dark, but I also want to talk about what that deep hope is. And how do we actually live into there? And maybe get a little better answer to the question, is life fair? So Hope, like, and there is hope. So this question again, like, is life fair? It's about how do we shift that? And how do we come at it from a perspective of hope? Sort of changing the orientation a little bit, seeing it a little bit different. Well, how does hope grow? Well, hope grows out of a number of different perspectives, I think, around this, this fairness of life. And the first one is I have to understand this difference. Between zeal and anger. Between zeal and anger. Zeal is that passion that all of us carry within us. Like, can I give you a great definition of soul? Can I give you a great definition of it? Your soul is glue and fire. Is that good? I heard that over the weekend. I thought, I'm preaching that bad boy. It's glue and it's fire. It has those parts that pull us together, but it's also that fire. I'm going to be talking more about this next week, that fire part. But it's that passion part. Like I, when I'm down in Kensington and I see an addicted mom with her kids, there's a passionate zeal there. Thinks this just isn't fair. Not fair for the mom, not fair for the kids. That's a passion. That's a passion, that's zeal. Anger though is something different. Anger doesn't invite us anywhere but to be angry. Zeal invites us to do something, to be something, to live into a higher and greater invitation. Could I get a little amen? amen. Not anger. Anger is worried about one thing, which is being angry. That's it. That's the only thing anger is interested in, being angry. It becomes like this horrible doom loop. New church, the way we hold it is this, anger, our reaction to everything that stands in the way of self-love. Now, self-love there is not self-confidence. Self-love there is selfishness. (laughs) That belief that my way or the highway. Anything gets in the way of that, if I find myself angry, if I find myself stopped up, that's the kind of anger that is deeply dangerous out there into the world. So we have to see that difference, and we have to also know what anger can lead to. Again, not zeal here. What that anger that only wants to be angry—what it can lead to—and this is where the story really gets a little dark. Just so you know, now Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let's go out to the field." Why were they in the field? Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. A very dark part of the story. Now, thankfully, that rarely happens. And importantly, listen to me carefully here. Importantly. It happens in each one of our lives all the time. Thankfully, that rarely happens. Importantly, that happens in each one of our lives all the time. We get caught into this comparison trap. We get caught into life isn't fair. So we search for someone to blame. And does that blame go here or there? <laughs> it goes out a lot. Sometimes comes in, but it goes out a lot seeks to target and blame other people for our particular misfortune. That's a dangerous place to be. Now again, I I think there's part of the human experience, this is an important aside, there's part of the human experience, this is just the way things go. You know, the Bible, as I read it, is not a list of what you need to do. This is what's going to happen. We will have times in our life where we do these things. I'm not talking about homicidal rage here, but I'm talking about those times where we just, out of this, this what is fair, what isn't fair, feeling gypped, that we will, we will actually take someone out at the knees. And oftentimes, we do it very quietly. Sometimes we have one word for it. It's called Gossip. We can do that very quietly. This, this one pastor was talking, had a great sermon. He was talking about this, this proclivity and he said, yeah, you know, I'll be, I'll be talking with someone and, and it'll be, uh, you know, this conversation around comparison. Is life fair or not? And he'll sort of seek to interject. Well, you know, I'm praying for them these days. You know, that idea that somehow their life isn't good and he's got to pray for them, which is his code way of, of kind of feeding his ego a little bit we have to be able to see things differently, we have to be able to grow in different ways. We have to get to a point, folks, where we know that this question, this challenge that, that is about us, and that we need to constantly be vigilant about it, Because we be vigilant about that part in our life that is asking the what is fair, is, is life fair question, and coming up with angry responses as we firmly believe, like, the answer is No and pull all the evidence in, and then become deeply angry over that evidence. It's not a world we want to live in. Again, that's the problem. That's the challenge. I want to share with you how someone dug out from under this, and this is the story of this reporter, Helen Andrews. Now Helen was a was a I I frankly didn't know much about her and I was reading up getting ready for this series and she wrote this beautiful article called Shame Storm in the Atlantic magazine. And what she talked about in this story, I'm actually going to move over onto this carpet here. I want to talk to you about what she did with this story. So what she did with this story, she was talking about you know this was this was back in the back in 2010. And her boyfriend, she's a national person, a national commentator. Her boyfriend came on to CNN, her ex-boyfriend at that time, uh, still ex-boyfriend, came on to CNN and just said these horrible things about her. Three and a half minutes on CNN. And it went viral. And she was clear, like, yep, in this relationship, there were some things that happened that weren't great, but he had taken this dark part of their relationship, made it public, and it cost her her job. And it not only cost her a job, but once that was all out there, what were the odds of her getting another job? <laughs> Terrible. So she decides, like, she just goes through, the article goes on, and she's just, she's just spinning this story about, like, it just gets darker and 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 darker. I mean, harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. So thankfully, she falls in love again, and she decides, like, oh, she falls in love with an Australian, isn't that great? She falls in love with an Australian. No doubt she loved the accent. Falls in love with an Australian. And they move to Australia, so they go back down to Australia, she's there, this will be my chance to move someplace new, to to reclaim my, my good name, to have a clean start. Her husband's at a coffee shop in Australia. He's sitting with a buddy. And they're talking about all the challenges of social media today. Are there a few challenges with social media today, folks? Yes, there definitely are. And he says, Well, yeah, look at what happened to this lady. And he shows him a phone video of his wife, of what had happened to her. And she realized, like, she couldn't escape it. How hard would that be? And as you can see, where the title is Shame Storm. So so she has to figure out a way to deal with this. Is that fair what she went through? Yes or no? No, it's clearly not fair. And by the way, it wasn't wasn't like the mistakes that she'd made in that previous session. It wasn't anything that, that was illegal or horrible. You know, it was it was it was hard stuff in the relationship. But she couldn't get out from under it. That's not fair. The article spins and like I'm waiting for kind of this, this big moment where, you know, she becomes the, uh, I don't know, turns into a superhero and wreaks vengeance on the world. You know, because it's just so deserved. Like I'm waiting to hear that her ex-boyfriend God has comeuppance or, you know, she finally got vindicated or, you know, she got cast as superwoman, whatever. You know, that, that, that there'd be this last minute vindication. But there wasn't. what there was, was acceptance. She ends the article citing this beautiful passage from Oscar Wilde. To me, suffering seems now a sacramental thing that makes those whom it touches holy. I think I am, in many respects, a much better person than I was. And I now make no more exorbitant claims on life i have you say the A word there. I accept everything. I accept everything. People who get there, folks, I think what shifts, and I mentioned this a little bit last week, they stop being consumed by the is it fair question. They stop being consumed by the why's. They kind of push that aside, and they don't come up with like the answers to those. They just shift to a different ball game. Can I share with you what that ball game is? They shift to a different ball game. The ball game is this: it's not necessarily about why, why these things happen, why there's suffering, why there's pain, why there's unfairness, but it's about how. How do we make our way through it? How do we support each other in the darkness? How do we help just one little step at a time as best we can? Dropping Is Life Fair and just understanding life is. Could we say that together, please? Life is. Just life is. one of the things i burn with passion about all the time is the way churches synagogues nonprofits and in specifically new church live can start to hold some of those pieces can start to become part of a way to move things forward when these things seem so binary black or white that there's only one way to look at that stone fact is, to see the stone, you have to see both sides. To see life, you have to see the fairness, the unfairness. But, but then we can't, we can't just become consumed about that question. We can't allow that question to consume us because anger will arise. Not zeal. Anger will arise. A pointless, destructive anger that gets us nowhere. We live in an age of outrage. I want to live in an age of love. We live in an age of outrage. I want to live in an age of love. I think of this congregation as a group that says, we want to live in an age of love. We don't want to live in an age of outrage. And how do we finally put this together? Well, this next slide is is thanks to a perspective that my my dear buddy Glenn gave me one year with a video that he shared. And here's a picture. This is from a New Church Live parishioner who sent this in January. That was rude, by the way. <laughs> so Glenn had done this before. I'd seen this, but I thought it was really interesting. So I'm going to hop back and forth to the carpets. so just so the camera guys know I'm going to be bouncing around here. So if I'm that person standing on the far right, that sunlight is coming right at me right? It shifted a little bit to my right. It shifted over there. If I'm standing right here, sorry for not being on the carpet, but I'm standing right here, that sunlight's coming right for me. I'm standing with this guy on the far left. That same row of sunshine is coming right for me. Like I see a path of light, a path of light that is mine to walk and his to walk and hers to walk. Each of us headed the same direction, but each of us all with a different path. Some of us even get to use a boat, you know, each of us with a different path, but we're all going that same way. We're all going home. St. Francis put it about as best as you can. I love these words. These were the words on his deathbed. I have now done what was mine to do. May Christ now teach you what you are to do. Each of us has our own path. Each of us has our own way laid out by God for us to walk. At times that'll be Cain, times it'll be Abel, times it will be this, times it will be that. Times, for some of us, the easy path to walk is because we're darn good at math. Other of us, the path is to struggle with those things. And you could add in a myriad of different examples of that. But we each have our own path. Please listen carefully to these last words I want to share today. Do. What is yours to do? That my friends, is fair. Amen. I'd ask you now to please join me in a prayer. We're going to close the service just with a prayer. You're welcome to say your own prayer, to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it, or to just have a moment of quiet reflection. As we just welcome in the close of the service, just again, that idea like, Spirit, lead me. Whatever that path is, whatever that weighs, is, spirit me. So please join me in a prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for this amazing congregation. Lord, today we looked at things that at times can be dark and challenging. Thank you, Lord, even for the discomfort of looking at those things. And thank you as well, Lord, for the comfort that we have in hope. In the comfort we have that each of us here has been given that path, each of us has been given those things that are ours to do. Not ours to do as better than them or better than them, but just ours to do, period. This is ours to do. Allow that answer, Lord, to be true for us individually. Like what for each one of us in this room is ours to do? Knowing that that is fair. Lord, allow us as a congregation as well to get more and more clear in 2019 as we start a new year about what is ours to do as New Church Live. Those here in person, those joining us online, Those joining us in spirit, as angels sing, Help us to discover what is ours to do, Lord. Help us to move forward in our lives. Saying with a smile, saying with joy, saying with acceptance, Spirit, Spirit, lead me. Amen.